Let us pray. O Lord, mercifully receive the prayers of your people who call upon you, and grant that they may know and understand what things they ought to do, and also may have grace and power faithfully to accomplish them. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Have you, uh, have you ever been in a situation where you've had a complaint with a uh, company and the counterperson or the person on the other end of the phone can only do so much to help you? So you ask for their supervisor. You know, okay, okay, fine. Let me talk to somebody else. And so perhaps then you get to that supervisor and still you cannot be satisfied. Perhaps your complaint is not settled. But And it only goes so far. And either at that point they either get another supervisor or perhaps they turn you over to escalation. There's some, somebody who I'm close to had, a, had, a, had, a, had some grievance with a company and they finally just didn't know what to do with her. So they turned her over to escalation. It could have been anybody. <laughs> 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 but, but the... But the the, you recognize very quickly that these these people's authority is derivative. They they've gained their authority from somebody above them, and it's limited. It's, so they have a f- authority that is in limits, and that authority has been given to them, <clears throat> and it's been somebody else that has set those limits. Over the past few weeks, we've been uh, learning about Jesus's authority, and we've seen that the people of Nazareth. Uh, earlier in this chapter, they had, uh, he came to his hometown and those pe- the people at Nazareth would not recognize his authority. And so he had no honor in his hometown. He, pre- he proclaimed the truth to them and they wanted to kill him. So he left there, went into the area of, of Judea, came to Capernaum and, and preached there and, and in those surrounding areas. And he was widely accepted. That authority was recognized. These people were awestruck in uh, his preaching by the authority from his teaching and his power as he cast out the demon. Out of, because of his presence, one came out of, uh, and made himself known to him in the synagogue. And so Jesus cast him out. And so his authority was made known to them and recognized in his authority in teaching and his authority in power. He exhibited a different kind of power. We, we talked about that, that the scribes and the Pharisees had that kind of derivative authority in their teaching, much like the counterperson in our complaint uh, or the person on the other end of the phone. They could only go so far. They could only uh, say so much. In fact, we were last week we quoted where one such teacher said that he had never said anything on his own. The only thing he's been able to do is repeat what other teachers before him had said. So Jesus' authority is vastly different than what these people have been used to. And I say it's vastly different than what we're used to. We, I, I, I'm, I'm, my fear is we don't recognize the authority of Jesus. Jesus' authority is ulti- it's the ultimate authority. His, his is this kingdom authority. And Jesus is the king of the kingdom of, 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 uh, of which he has come to proclaim and establish. I, I've referenced this uh, multiple times, but I like the way that Mark 
describes the beginning of Jesus' ministry. In Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15 says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So there's this recognition that this kingdom is is uh, becoming established as the king has entered. So if that's the beginning of Jesus' ministry, that he, he came proclaiming the gospel of God and the kingdom of God is at hand. So this, this king has come to set things right. He's come to reorient us, his people, to themselves, to others and to God. He has come, and why would he, why would he need to set things right? Bec- and it's because the, the world, all of creation, all of us, all people, suffer from brokenness and sin and the curse brought on by sin from Adam's disobedience. And that's, this is the biblical story. This is the bigger picture of what's going on. So, um, and, and as we read out of our Ephesians passage, this was not a mistake. It's not plan B. There's, there's a, a good bit of discussion sometimes in the church where the church age seems to be plan B. It didn't work with the Israelites, but that's God's chosen people. And by second choice, okay, now you come in. That's not what Paul said. Paul said, this is a design from the beginning before the foundations of the world that he chose you those who believe he knew already. And this is the plan, and this is the way the kingdom is unfolding. But why the kingdom? The kingdom is to restore um, that which is broken. I shouldn't have to describe the brokenness. We know the brokenness. We know the brokenness in ourselves. We know the brokenness in our relationships. We see the brokenness in the world. And there's this distance between us and God, this alienation. So the king comes, and and this is a different kind of kingdom, and it's a different kind of establishment of a kingdom. So he comes with this great authority, and he exercises this authority with compassion and love and grace. This is beautiful. So today we're going to look at this uh, kingdom, or a few characteristics of this kingdom, and uh, under the heading of serving, then healing, and resting. So first off, the, the kingdom of God produces servants. So let's look in verse 38. It says, And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Don't you hate it when you've missed the, the concert or the, whatever the event was and then later you hear about how good it was and you're like, I, I, I missed, I, I didn't have the opportunity to go. I wish I had been there. That's the position of Simon's or Simon Peter. That's the position of his mother-in-law on this day. She was sick and not likely, most likely not able to go to the synagogue to hear this renowned preacher coming to preach to them. And I, that's assuming that was foreknown. Um, but whether, she, whether it was foreknown or not, 
as the people were amazed and awestruck at his teaching, then it's customary after the service you would come and, and have a meal. Simon Peter invited him to his house to share this meal. And the mother-in-law had not been able to go. So she wasn't able to be awestruck by his teaching. She wasn't able to hear that and be cut to the heart. This fever that she has, the King James says she was taken with fever. So you've probably experienced these. You feel deathly ill. you got this fever thing going on. Your toenails hurt. It hurts to breathe. You're thinking, I don't know how much longer I can exist if this thing doesn't break and leave. Perhaps it's, it's a very debilitating kind of fever. And she is suffering from this. It could be that she even prepared the meal, but at this point she's not able to serve them. So someone, in a, in a beautiful gesture of compassion, interceded on her behalf. It says that in, at, the, at the end of uh, verse 38, it says, and they appealed to him on her behalf. So there's that intercession. Somebody's asked Jesus to heal her or come see her. I don't really know what their expectation was, but they knew she needed help, and they pointed him to her and asked her to come. And then it says that he rebuked the fever. It's the, it's the same language that was used in last week's um, section, which is the, it's the same day, it's earlier in the synagogue, where that um, demon was rebuked and cast out of the man. So now he's rebuking a fever. And this debilitating fever left her at once, and she was able to serve. So she was restored. She was made whole. Now, I've, I've thought about this verse before, and I chuckle at it as I read it, and especially in light of the whole women's lib kind of you know, perspective, where was, was she healed so that they would have somebody to serve them? Is it, so, so we get home, mother-in-law's sick, somebody please heal her so we can be served as we sit and eat. Well, I think there's something much larger going on than such a self-serving example. There's a bigger picture here of what Jesus wants to do in every believer. There's a healing he wants to bring them, and then the, I think the normal, the uh, default position of those who are healed is they want to serve. If we're going to be Christ-like, then we want to serve. This, this uh, it, many times even in churches, it's difficult to find people to fill different positions because uh, you know you don't want to you don't want to miss you don't want to miss the grand show. I don't want to be out watching uh, nursery or helping with kids. I want to be where I can receive and everybody needs to receive but the reality is we ought to be willing to serve and that's why you go back to the body of christ that body image that where um, god has designed us with different gifts and talents so that we can serve now the the whole measure of a christian it's upside down from the world it's it's not how many servants a Christian has that needs to be counted. It's how many people that Christian can serve is what needs to be counted. That's, if we're going to grow in our likeness to Christ, it should be a natural uh, byproduct of our healing that takes place or our restoration. 
this thing where we're coming to Jesus, our sins are forgiven. Salvation is so much more than that, where he is coming into us to restore us and make us whole again. And in our wholeness, there's something very personal about that, but it's also, it has a corporate aspect that we are to serve others. Um, I think that that's an interesting perspective that her healing was not just for her. Obviously, it was for her. For her, if, her if her fever broke, if, if you were in her situation and you can relate to that kind of thing where your toenails are hurting, you are thrilled that your fever is gone. But just the example shows it's not just for her. Her healing is for the benefit of the community. So there's this corporate aspect to it. There's the personal, but there's also the corporate. And we, in our individualism, um, in our revivalist kind of um, mentality, where we understand, we pushed, and it was, this is a, the, in church history, there's a big reaction from the corporate. If you come to church and you're baptized, boom, you're done. You're, this is good. At, through the Reformation and the evangelical church of today, we push for personal commitment. And we don't want to ignore the, the personal by overstressing the corporate. But we do that to the expense of the corporate altogether. So that's why we, and all of us, know many who say, yes, I'm Christian, but I don't go to church. I, I don't need to go hang out with those uh, hypocrites or what, you know, whatever. You've, you've heard the excuses. But it's, it's a, been a focus on that very personal uh, relationship. And if I have that, then I'm good. Well, just in this one little image, and we can just turn the page and turn the page and turn the page, and we're going to see this, that salvation, it's, it's more than just saying, you know, God forgive me. It's a, it's a matter of, of him entering into us and restoring us, making us whole, and it has both a personal aspect and a corporate aspect. It has a personal benefit and a corporate benefit. So there's obligation, actually, in one being saved. The next thing we're going to see is the kingdom of God brings healing. So in verse 40 it says, Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick of various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. So Jesus had preached in the synagogue, driven out the demons there. Then he went to Simon Peter's house. He healed his, uh, Simon's mother-in-law then, uh, and had lunch. And the news of his miracles spread fast in this region. Becky talks about when we visited our church in Gashonga, how when she would bring out the M&Ms or the bubbles that the kids, you know, of course, uh, the little kid, when we say everybody had cell phones, I mean, like, Adults, it was like, it seemed like every adult really did, which still blows my mind. These kids didn't have cell phones, so you wondered how the message got spread around the village, because she, she comes out of the house with bubbles or, uh, M&Ms, and there are maybe a few. But before she can barely get started, there are kids coming from all kinds of different directions. And you're like, how did this good news spread so quickly? Well, that's what's happening here. There's something in it for them. They hear about the healings. They hear about the miracles. And the news spread very quickly. And so Jesus 
is in a position where he's not looking for rest. He's not taking the rest of the afternoon, evening off. He's ready and willing to heal these who come. He had, he had great compassion on them. You can see the compassion because it says that they brought him all these people with these various diseases and he laid hands on every one of them and healed them. Well, this, this, um, can you, can you imagine like this entire village being like disease free? Everybody's healed. Uh, could you imagine, say, Parkersburg, everybody's healed? It appears that that may have been the case with this village, that these people brought anybody who had whatever, what, whatever that was, the, the fever, the gout, the uh, epilepsy, cancer, degenerative diseases, the crippled, palsy, the list goes on and on. Whatever their ailment was, they pr- were brought to him. He laid hands on them and healed them. And this is, this is an unusual scene in the ministry of Jesus. Because this is indiscriminately, he's healing everybody who's brought. In most scenes, we'll see where some he heals, some he does not. And we get bothered by how did he choose which one and, and, so, and so on. But it, but it appears here that he just had, had no resistance. There was no saying no here. Anybody who was brought, he heals them. And how did he heal them? He laid his hands on every one of them, it says. So I, I think it's rather interesting that with his word, he could probably have held up his hand and, and said something, and then the whole crowd was healed. But it shows that him healing by touching them and laying hands on. Now, this, this is something new. We're, us uh, people who've hung around church a good bit, we would take this for granted. But in the Old Testament, this is not practiced. In Jewish writings, this is not talked about. This is not a normal thing. And of course, as a priest for a, uh, a Jewish priest, you, you wouldn't want to be touching people who were unclean or you would make yourself unclean. So this is, this is unusual here by Jesus, about Jesus touching them. But by his touching, he's conveying this divine tenderness mercy and compassion to those who are needy. So we see that Jesus' authority is over the spiritual realm as well as the physical realm here. Ephesians six twelve says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So as Jesus healed some of these sicknesses were likely caused by spiritual forces, this spiritual warfare going on, and uh, and obviously from the remaining verses there, the indwelling of demons. And so he commanded them to come out. And in that, we we talked about this last week, in in the sense where the demons wanted to call him by name, that was to have mastery over him. But he rebuked them, because they knew he was the Christ. And there's this slow unveiling of who Jesus is, especially to those who do not believe uh, in the wider circle. And as we continue to flip the pages throughout Luke, we'll see this revelation of who he is becoming greater and greater. 
At this time, he's early in his ministry, so he rebukes them and tells them to be quiet. He shut them up simply with a word. The evil that we face, and we face plenty of evil, um, and that evil is not dressed in red with horns and a pitchfork, but that evil that we face is... um, It's a great organization of wicked beings in the spiritual realm. But fear not, Jesus has got this. He opens his mouth and shuts them down by his word. As we sing, but lo, his doom is sure, one little word shall fell him. So though you, in our daily walk, will face evil, and you're facing, it, it, ha, it will represent itself in mul- a multitude of ways in the, in the physical realm. It's a representative of what's going on in the spiritual realm. But you, having Jesus in you, Jesus shuts them down and rebukes them. So, the kingdom is for serving, the kingdom is for healing. Then we see that the kingdom of God provides rest. And this is more that Jesus is an example for us. Verse 47, 42 says, And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And I, and I assume that means that he did his healing all night. It was, it was getting dark, the sun was setting, and those people started bringing people. They brought all who were sick. Now the next um, line is, And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him, and he would have kept him, they, and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So I would think that Jesus would have been thoroughly exhausted by, um, by this time. He'd been pouring himself out in ministry to others for the entire day, the day before, and he's needing rest. When, when you find yourself exhausted and, and needing rest, what, what do you do? Where do you go? Where do you go for rejuvenation? Um, you know, many of us like to get away. I think, I think we, as Americans, like to hold our leisure, uh, our leisure time, our leisure whatever activities, very high. We hold them in a very high priority. Um, we'll see that Jesus didn't look for leisure, but he looked for a intimate time with his Father. We'll see, we'll see as, as, the, as the pages unfold here in Luke, and we'll see that his pattern is to go to a desolate place, but the desolate place is just not to get away from people. It's to spend time intimately with his Father. So, it just brings to, uh, to mind for us, where do we go? What do, what do we do to look for rejuvenation? When we need restoration, after we're tired, after we're spent, after we've poured out, where do you go? What do you look for? If, if Jesus is this dependent on intimate time with his Father in prayer, perhaps we should be. If he, the Son of God... To, to succeed in his ministry, to drive his ministry forward, is that dependent on prayer, that time with the, that intimate time 
alone time with his father. Maybe we need such a thing as well. If, um, if your life is like most, we are busy, frenetically going to and fro from this thing to that thing, being pulled in multiple directions at the same time, most of us. It's into that kind of craziness that the kingdom comes. And Jesus says, come into this kingdom, and I will give you rest. I find in this contrast for what we think of as restoration and rejuvenation and how we hold leisure so high, it is interesting that um, in the Westminster Confession of Faith, the discussion about Sabbath rest forbids, I think that's an accurate term, it forbids um, even leisure time on the Sabbath, or meaning Sunday, on the Lord's Day. And then it describes what the Lord's Day is really supposed to be. If, if we're going to keep the Lord's Day, this Sunday, and we're going to keep the Sabbath, and we're, it's going to be holy unto the Lord, and I don't have, I, I don't have, you know me, I don't have a lot of set rules about anything. I, and I'm not, and I'm, but I got to share this with you so that you know what it says. Um, and, and don't look at my life necessarily, but the, the, you say, this afternoon, Jim, you want to come out on the boat with me, and, uh, you know, we're going to have a cookout on the boat. I'm probably going to say, yeah, I'm there. Because what I want is a friend with a boat anyway. I don't want a boat. I want a friend with a boat. So if you've got a boat and you want to take me out, I'm probably going to go. But what the Westminster Confession is saying, in order to keep the Sabbath, the Sabbath rest is not about going on a boat and having a good time. It's not about leisure. The sa- and, and we think leisure is the thing that restores us, whatever, whatever that leisure activity is, whatever it is that drives you, whatever it is you're thinking of when I talk about that. We think that's going to restore us. Well, the, the concept of the Sabbath rest and the cycle that we live in where we, we do our work and then we need rest, it's talking about this corporate and personal devotion to the Lord and the worship of him. And, you know, you get into the technical parts and could you worship the Lord out on the boat while you're having... Well, yeah, you probably could. And, you know, if you're taking me, we probably would. But... Uh, but that, but that's not, you know, we're, then we start splitting hairs. And what can I do? And I just want to throw that out there just as a challenge of finding rest, finding rest in him, spending time in a desolate place, alone with your heavenly father, to hear him speak to you, uh, to, to mull over his word, allow that word to convict you, and express that to him. It's those kinds of breaks is what we're seeing of Jesus, you know. He, Jesus did ride a boat. That, you know, he, he used it as transportation. They did fish. We don't see him big on leisure time. I just think that's something for us to think about of how we're looking to restore us, how we need rejuvenated. How can we spend time alone with the Lord as Jesus is our model? And if it was good enough for him, it's probably uh, good enough for us. So, but he's, he's in this desolate place, and these people, they want to keep him. And it's almost as by force that they want to... We've got this good thing. It's like the genie in the bottle. He's able to answer all of our issues. We want to keep him here. And it's that self-serving motive again. We want to keep him here, as opposed to 
we know some other villages where he needs to go. Could we help him get there? That's not even their thought. Their thought is to keep him. And he says to them, I must go. I was sent for this purpose. And I must go to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. So this, this kingdom, as we try to figure out what the kingdom is and how has it come, it's an interesting, it's an interesting concept, but apparently it's good news. This kingdom that's coming is good. So as, as we unfold the pages, we're going to see more and more attributes of the kingdom of God. I, want to, I just want to share this one thing that's helped me. There's this overlap of time. We have the time uh, prior, let's say, to the, to the cross. There's this time of Jesus. Um, we know that there's, there, God was at work. We know that Jesus comes, and we know that Jesus is going to come again. But what's happening in this interim period between the time of the cross and the time when Jesus comes again? Yes, we have church age, but is there anything different? Is there anything real? One of the members of the previous service mentioned to me some things, and, it, and that's kind of really the question that underlies what we were talking about. Is there anything different because we know Jesus? Is there any, does the church look different? And if so, why? How does it look? Well, what is happening here in this kingdom coming, it's as if the end times, the, the glories of heaven, have been pulled back into the here and now. I like this image. It helps me. It helps my head. So we, and we know, we're looking forward to that day of full restoration when there will be no tears, there will be no more sorrows, there will be no hurts. All those pains in our aching bodies will be gone and we will be glad to rejoice for His glory in the heavenlies. What this is saying, whatever those heavenly, all those good things that are happening in the heavenlies, it's being pulled back into the here and now. And so if you had a diagram, and we diagram that from beginning of time, cross, end of time, it's as if this end of time thing is being pulled back to the cross period on that diagram. So to enter into the kingdom is to enter into restoration. To, enter, to hear the gospel message is not simply about salvation from sin, it is, but it's so much more than that. It's about restoration. It's about restoring that which is broken and preparing us for our eternal home where we will worship and praise the Lord. So what do we see about that now? I talk with people from time to time and they say, well, how can he be real? Look how bad the world is. And, and you don't have to look far to find all these examples. And you're like, I understand that, but where is it? Where is the good? Where do you see him doing the good? Where do you see restoration happening? Where have you seen somebody who was addicted come to Christ and now they are no longer addicted? Where do you see brokenness being healed? Broken marriages, bro- broken relationships being healed because of the um, love of God in Christ Jesus? These are the places what, of where the kingdom is at work. And people are in the kingdom. So there's this Kingdom has been inaugurated. It's been it's begun, but it's not fully realized. And so at the end times, in glory, that kingdom gets fully realized. And so we're looking forward to that day, but we get tastes of it now. We can have confidence that this is happening because of what we read in Ephesians. Because according to his plan, this is not a mistake, this is according to his plan 
that he is restoring us and all things to himself. Why? For his glory. And so we look forward, but we have this, and that's the foretaste. As, as we gather together in community, as we love one another, that's giving us a foretaste of what we are going to experience in eternity. As we share this meal, that, that meal, it looks back at what happened. It looks around at each other, so it's about reconciliation. But it looks forward to that great banquet meal we're going to share in the heavenlies. This is that foretaste of it. And it's, and we, we sing, we worship, we praise, we pray. All these things we do, which are preparing us, and they have given us a foretaste of that which is to come. So, for those who run into the kingdom of God, for those who run into Jesus and, and, and are looking to experience peace, they're going to experience healing. They're going to experience restoration. And there will be a cycle of service and rest. So, where are you looking for healing? Where do you look for completeness? Have you found your healing in Jesus, or is Jesus simply your fire insurance? Will you find rest and rejuvenation in your times of prayer and in your alone time with the Father? Will you have those things be a priority so that you may be restored and rejuvenated in order to pour yourself out uh, for others, for His glory? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.